Is the Universal House of Justice a representative of the world, or is it is it is, is it more weighted toward Americans, or is no? It actually, equal? I, I it, it is it, it's quite worldwide. As you look at the makeup, people are coming from all over the world okay. onto the Universal House of Justice. Yeah, that's cool. And all these these bodies, these these local bodies, the national, the, the international. I mean, they're, they're all, they all act as accountability in, in a way. So it's, it's almost like any, any kind of denomination in, in some sense. So in their, they're elected, as you had said, mm-hmm. no clergy. So nobody is paid to do these duties. Well, that, or that, that's right. Uh, at, at the, at the local level, uh, Generally speaking, all of these people are individuals serving, you know, in their spare time, if you will, you know, as they do their whatever their uh, daytime job is, like you know, uh, just their their occupation. Uh, there, there are a few paid positions, like for instance the, uh, and they're paid because they're full time positions. Like for instance, the the secretary of the National Spiritual Assembly is a full time job, and so there are full time individuals who are are compensated, but they're not compensated very richly. And, and so, so uh, it, it's, generally speaking, quite a sacrifice to serve in one of these roles compared to what they might be earning in other uh, capacities. But because there is a need for full-time service, mm-hmm. there is a provision. The Universal House of Justice, it, the nine members are, are uh, full-time members in Haifa, Israel, and so they are compensated, I, I believe, with a stipend sort of uh, system that, that supports them while they're so, there. So is there a, a mandate to, to tie, to give offerings locally, nationally? There, there, so. I, there is uh, a couple of different concepts uh, there. The, the Baha'i Fund is established throughout the world, and uh, all Baha'is are encouraged to contribute to that fund. And, and yet, uh, we're prohibited to require people to give to that fund. So it's all voluntary. Uh, uh, people who are not Baha'is cannot give to the Baha'i Fund. So that was oh, wow. uh, that was one of the reasons that I chose to give the nice contributions that people had made at the meeting last Thursday back to the uh, the Brew Pub uh, Theology Group. It's a great organization. I'm sure you can use that to uh, advance your uh, goals. But 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 uh, as an example, the House of Worship in Wilmette, Illinois, which is this very very large, impressive. House of Worship, open to all people uh, of any religion, uh, was built over a 50-year period because it had to be built as funds became available. So it was designed in 19—the design was initiated in 1903. I think building commenced about 10 years later, and it was completed in 1953. It was as funds were available coming from the Baha'i community. And as each of these uh, houses of worship have been built in different parts of the world, Baha'is all over the world have contributed to the establishment of those things. So, so that 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 Baha'i fund is is something that is kind of the 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 financial lifeblood of the of the local, national, and and global community. And the are they called temples, by the way? Are they these? Uh, we usually refer they, to them as houses of worship, houses of, but but you often hear people refer to them yeah, as temples. They're beautiful. Uh-huh. They're beautiful. They mm-hmm. really are nice. Have, have y'all seen the pictures online? Well, I think I think mm-hmm. they might have been talking about that at the Parliament of the World Religions because mm-hmm. they were talking about building a interfaith space um, that looked like some of the pictures I saw mm-hmm. um, with the Baha'i. So I don't know if you guys are doing that or if that's. A, the architect or whatever, but 
I, the Baha'is are active in the uh, Parliament of Religions, so yeah. you may have run across some Baha'is while you were there. Uh, but uh, but what you're talking about, I'm not sure. The uh, the Baha'is are actively building houses of worship. Uh, we we actually believe that the, in the future there will be houses of worship in every community. And these will actually be social institutions as well as devotional institutions with uh, schools, home for the aged, uh, other kinds of uh, facilities that are of social service uh, uh, that are uh, that are you know available to the to the entire community. Yeah, they actually do good seven days a week, not just one. Mm. Yeah. Well, uh, we, I, 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 but you'll find many people in many faiths who do good seven days a week, yes. and that, that's that, not unique to the That, that is my hope. I just, yeah, well, <laughs> one of my beefs, don't get me going on a soapbox, are <laughs> buildings, religious institutions that just sit there six days out of the week. And uh, yeah, use yeah use those buildings for the good of humanity. There, there is no designated day of worship in in the Baha'i faith, oh, okay. and so uh, you'll find Baha'i devotional programs in communities throughout the world uh, throughout the week. And and uh, uh, one of the very active uh, programs of the Baha'is is to establish as widely as possible devotional programs at the neighborhood level. And so uh, while there may be a Baha'i Center in different areas that do have devotional programs, that's only the tip of the iceberg, if you will, as Baha'is throughout the community are holding their own devotional programs in their homes, inviting their family, their friends, their neighbors to come and share uh, writings from the various uh, holy scriptures and not limited to the Baha'i writings. That's nice. This is, this is great. So Baha'u'llah stated that religion is the greatest of all means for the establishment of order in the world mm-hmm. and for the peaceful contentment of all that dwell therein. So many secular humanists, probably friends of all of us, of all of ours, would completely disagree with that statement. What would you say to those that think that religion is unnecessary today in the 21st century? Mm-hmm. Well, we, we would say that that's, that 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 uh, viewpoint is kind of a reflection of the fact that we have taken on a very material uh, look at our society, and, and we view uh, scientific and technological advancements as modern and religious teachings as ancient. And so, uh, what we would say, though, is is that both of these perspectives are important for the advancement of society. That we need to have uh, a, a, uh, a society that is uh, grounded in values as well as, uh, as well as the technologies and sciences that uh, offer wonderful uh, advances for society uh, as well. And so this is one of the reasons that, that God has to renew his teachings every once in a while is he's, he, he uh, provides us with the, the guidance that helps us understand the material context in which the world has evolved uh, into. And, and uh, so I, I think that we could say that in some ways the, uh, the reliance on technology alone is a form of arrogance. That, that's, that's, that's man-made stuff. And, and it's wonderful stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, 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 those technologies, as wonderful as they are, do not help us know how to interact with each other in a spirit of service or a spirit of love. That becomes the, the values-based uh, foundation. And so, so uh, we can observe that religion has served as a source of disunity at times. Uh, but Baha'is understand that to be uh, religious misunderstandings. Uh, and not kind of understanding and recognizing the oneness 
of of uh, of our uh, the source of all of our uh, faiths. And in fact, Abdu'l-Baha, the son of Baha'u'llah, said that if religion were the cause of disunity, it would be better to have no religion. And so uh, we have a very high standard to live up to in order to justify the existence of religious faith. Uh, but Baha'is believe that at the end of the day, uh, religion uh, is the only uh, solution to the world's problems and the, and the only way that we can move towards world peace because this in itself becomes a unifying perspective that, that gives us the ability to see the world in, in one context. Yeah, I would agree with you. I don't. I don't think, practically speaking, religion's going to go anywhere. I think it's going to continue to evolve. Uh, but I, I hear it a lot. I don't know, Mark, Janelle, uh, if you hear from your agnostic atheist friends, we're like, yeah, religion's pointless. I, I hear it on a pretty consistent basis. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Uh, I think. I think what people object to many times, though, or are concerned about, is how they see religion operating, yeah. and and oftentimes. It is not a lack of belief in God, but it is uh, sort of a disillusionment in their ability to trust religious institutions or other things like that. So again, that's the high standard that religious institutions have to hold themselves to, to make themselves worthy of that trust. Now, do you have large groups or is it generally these neighborhood groups? So it's kept small by its nature? Well, the, the, we, we have large numbers of Baha'is. There are several million Baha'is in India, for instance, and, and sometimes you have tens of thousands of Baha'is in a, in a community. Uh, but the fact that we uh, then kind of encourage neighborhood-level activities means that you still have small-scale activities taking place. So instead of bringing 10,000 people together in a stadium, we think it's uh, much more effective to begin, and not begin, but to, to organize uh, at a smaller, uh, much more uh, human human scale level. So, gatherings in homes are really the most common uh, the common unit uh, of gathering in in the Baha'i faith. Although, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, there's a large Baha'i center that can probably hold 500 or 1,000 people, and every once in a while, Baha'is will gather there, or public events will be held there. So, uh, you know, as the faith grows. Uh, there will probably be a need for larger gathering points as well. I know in Denver, there's the one on Grant Street. Yes. The, the, uh-huh. Is that, yeah, is that, that the main one in that, town? That, well, that there? is the Metro Denver Baha'i Center, and uh, I think the capacity, seating capacity in the main hall is about 500. It, it was formerly a Christian science church that the Baha'is purchased, actually, maybe 25 years ago or so. And, uh, and so that's used quite frequently and, and uh, uh, has a variety of activities, outreach to the public. Uh, public is invited to come in for uh, the various activities, whether it's devotional programs or informational programs. Uh, there, there are really four kinds of initiatives that the Baha'is are emphasizing in particular right now. Uh, children's classes, junior youth empowerment programs, helping kids who are 11 to 14 years of age to really feel a sense of purpose uh, and a sense of opportunity to be of service to their communities where they are, which is kind of unique in in some ways. And then study classes for older people, uh, adults and older youth, uh, to learn more about some of the principles of the faith if if people are interested uh, in that, as well as these devotional uh, program. So those become kind of the heartbeat of the Baha'i community at the neighborhood level or the 
<coughs> local level. Uh, Baha'is are also encouraged to see what they can do to help promote social and economic development in their communities, you know, whatever that might look like. And so that's an area of learning for Baha'is is how can, you know, a fairly limited number of people still in many Baha'i communities, you know, contribute to that at the community level. And I know you said earlier that there's not one party that a Baha'i uh, religious person could uh, adhere to, but, but could they run for office if they were, went on an independent ticket? Um, I think generally not, uh, but it, it, I think it depends on the level because in, in, in there are some kinds of service uh, such as uh, school boards or something like that that might not require any political affiliation and might not require you know, the kind of partisan behavior that, that say, running for president would. And, and so, so I, I don't expect to see a Baha'i running for, for president because of the partisan nature of that campaign. Part of me now but really I, wishes they would. <laughs> but, but I do think that... that Might burst your bubble. <laughs> I, I do think that there are, you know, kind of local opportunities for service that, that, that could be possible. Um, let's let's talk about persecution for a little bit because mm-hmm. um, Baha'u'llah, uh, he clearly his entire life, well, once he became awakened and these manifestations were real to him, was persecuted uh, under a specific context and lived, what you said, 40-something years of his life in prison. Is uh-huh. that, is that yes. correct? Uh-huh. Uh, and so just like any religion, that, major religion that we can think of, it, it all starts with persecution. And mm-hmm. you know, within my tradition, the Christian tradition, Jesus says to love your enemies, mm-hmm. pray for those who persecute you. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, a lot of Christians have forgotten those those teachings. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do Baha- how do Baha'i people today deal with persecution? Because I know in the Middle East, I mean, they're they're still being persecuted. Uh, that's true. The Baha'is are being persecuted, particularly in Iran, uh, where there are Baha'is in prison, and uh, Baha'is are prohibited from uh, going to higher education, for instance, and and so uh, uh, that that persecution is very active. Uh, uh, an administrative uh, group of, of, of Baha'is, an administrative center of Baha'is uh, were in prison for a number of years called the Yaran, uh, a group of, uh, I believe, seven individuals who were in prison for a number of years. Uh, uh, Baha'is have been executed uh, in the recent past and under very horrible circumstances. And, and uh, uh, so, so that continues, and, and uh, that continues to be something that Baha'is throughout the world are trying to educate uh, the world about uh, to encourage the world to express their objections uh, to that treatment of, of the Baha'is and other religious minorities who are uh, in, in Iran. Mm-hmm. So, is there a posture of nonviolence within the Baha'i faith? Well, there, there is. Uh, first of all, there is a posture of obedience to the government, and so Baha'is are obedient to whatever government under which we reside. So, uh, Iranian Baha'is living in Iran are obedient to the Iranian government. They, there may be the one group that the Iranian government has no fear of any kind of, uh, you know, uh, opposition because Baha'is are obedient. Now, uh, the, when, when uh, Baha'is have been imprisoned, oftentimes they've been asked to recant their faith, and that's one thing that Baha'is will not do. We will not deny our faith. And so that is uh, a way that the, the Iranian government has been able to uh, kind of uh, uh, impose sanctions on, on the Baha'is in, in very devious ways, basically. 
the uh, uh, but but uh, the, that obedience to government is seen to be one of the ways that we promote unity. Uh, if we pick and choose the laws we obey, then uh, we are putting ourselves at odds with others and, and not promoting a unified kind of framework under which people can live in a given uh, area. So we, we may work to change laws that are unjust or uh, un. un uh, inappropriate, but we will obey those laws as long as they are in in place. I, I would that just brings to mind though, what would you do like in Saudi Arabia in the way that they treat mm -hmm. women, but you believe deeply in the equality of men and women? Mm -hmm. How do you work to change those systems without breaking the the rule about being obedient? Well, I, I can't comment on Saudi Arabia because I don't know uh, what the circumstances are there, but. But wherever wherever I have lived, uh, we have always uh, put into practice those principles in our own personal lives, even if there are laws that prevent us from practicing that on different levels. For instance, I did not live in South Africa, but I uh, traveled through South Africa during the years of apartheid. And there were very active Baha'i communities uh, practicing the spirit of the oneness of humankind in the context of of uh, apartheid South Africa. And so we uh, would, would not compromise our uh, beliefs and, uh, and attitude and practice of the oneness of humankind, but we would do it within the context of the laws that were there in place. The, with the ultimate confidence that those laws that are contrary to God's teachings will ultimately change. And lo and behold, you can see, you know, years later, the apartheid no longer exists. Now, we could have taken another stance and kind of risen up against the apartheid government and everything like that, creating all kinds of disunity in the process. Instead, Baha'is were uh, quietly going about the business of building an alternative that now people in South Africa are turning to as evidence that races can actually get along together. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just thinking about like you, just the basic unions or any kind of organizations that can rise up against an oppressive establishment. Mm -hmm. But it, within your tradition, it seems as if, yeah, you'll you'll you know educate people and look and try to. I can't even use the word fight for change, but uh, mm -hmm. move toward change. But there is no resistance. As we speak of, you know, ah, you well, know. I mean, <laughs> we uh, the resistance is is not in the form of confrontation or conflict, uh, but but the instead it is a spirit of, of providing a positive alternative, a positive model, a positive role that that might be attractive to others, and if others choose to embrace that model. That would be wonderful if they choose not to. That's their choice. And so the, the alternatives that Baha'is are building are, are not intended to be imposed on others, yeah. but to serve as an attractive uh, alternative. And as various other institutions continue to demonstrate inability to function effectively in a modern world, uh, people will be searching for alternatives. And so we think yeah. that it, it, our time is far more effectively spent building the positive alternative than creating an opposition, because all, all we're doing as, as opposition is fighting against something, uh, whereas building a, a positive alternative is actually making a contribution to uh, a future uh, positive existence, prosperity of humankind. 
Yeah, I mean, it's what we teach our oldest daughter. We say, you know, you can't change the actions of others, but you yourself are responsible for your own actions. And mm-hmm. we, we, we teach us at such a young age, and yet when we, we become adults, you know, we, we do have that, that natural primal instinct to, to fight mm-hmm. and to yep. confront. And uh, so this is a good reminder. It's a good reminder, I think, even for the communities that exist uh, within brew theology and within, within all religious communities. And, we were, and not even religious communities. I mean, we, we, live, we live in this pluralistic mm-hmm. world. Uh, with the people of, of no th- faiths at all. So this is a good reminder. I mean, because progress is really not made when you're just fighting against the yeah. other. I mean, now, when's now, the last time it, that's worked? Like an argument where you're yelling. It's never worked. An, really an worked. argument <laughs> where you're yelling is not effective. Uh, but but Baha'is believe that in place of that conflict is a very positive process of consultation. So Baha'u'llah laid out these principles for consultation that we believe serve as an alternative to those previous conflict-oriented uh, interactions. Uh, uh, the principle that, uh, that uh, uh, unanimity is desirable, uh, but if it is not achieved, then the majority rule will, will suffice. Uh, the principle that full and frank uh, consultation is a very important part of this. So, in one quote about consultation, it says, out of the clash of differing opinions emerges the spark of truth. And so it's not appropriate to think of Baha'is as all just kind of sitting around passively, uh, you know, saying we're all here to be unified. Uh, there can be very energetic and very lively exchanges of differing opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but out of the clash of those differing opinions, the clash is the word that's used, the clash of differing opinions emerges the spark of truth. But then once the decision is made, Baha'is are, uh, another principle of consultation is you, uh, you follow that decision. So it, it could be that I was one of the four, let's just say we're on a local spiritual assembly and the decision is five to four ultimately to do something. Let's say I'm one of the four, I have a responsibility to fully support that decision that was made in the same way that I had a full responsibility to fully express my opinion during the consultation. So that gives me great confidence because I know that my view has been heard and considered by the body. But if the majority, whether it's 9-0 or whether it's 5-4, if the majority goes on a different track, it would be arrogant of me to insist on my own opinion. And in fact, uh, Abdu'l-Bahá assures us that it is better to be unified in a wrong decision than to be disunified arguing over the correct decision. Because in the fullness of time, if we're unified in carrying out that wrong decision, it'll become apparent that it's wrong very quickly. If it doesn't become apparent that it's wrong very quickly, then it was probably an okay decision. Actually, it might not have been the best. You can always argue about what is the best, but it was an okay decision. But, but if, it, if, if it's inadequate as a decision, uh, that'll become very apparent very quickly if we're unified. But if we're not unified, it may never become apparent because uh, the fact that it's not working could be because there are four people trying to undermine it. But if all nine are working to carry that decision out in a unified way and it's not working, then that's a source of learning, and that body can go back next week, next month, next year, whenever it becomes apparent, and revisit it. I think the hard thing from out here listening to that is, Mm -hmm. what is your framework for deciding if this is some sort of moral decision? Like, if you really believe that what they've the five have decided is immoral... Well, uh, how do you how 
how would you well there deal is, there with is that? actually a, a framework for that because if 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 a local spiritual assembly makes a decision whether I'm a member of the body or not uh, that I don't agree with I can express my disagreement to, I, I must obey that decision in the interim. Uh, but I can express my disagreement back to that body, and they could consider my feedback and maybe change their decision. Uh, if, uh, if, if, however, the uh, the body believes there it's correct and says the decision stands, I have the right to appeal that decision to the National Spiritual Assembly. So we have this appeal process. I would appeal that process through the local assembly, and so so I would write a letter expressing my concern about the moral issue or. Uh, the correctness of the decision, whatever the issue is, and I would s- send that to the local spiritual assembly to be passed on to the national spiritual assembly, and so the national spiritual assembly could review and and they could uphold the decision, or they could give feedback to the local assembly that yes, they need to change or revisit that or whatever the guidance would come from the national spiritual assembly. And if I felt strongly enough, if the national spiritual assembly upheld that local decision, I could appeal to the universal house of justice. And we know that the universal house of justice is an unerring body in in the belief of the Baha'is. So whatever the decision of the universal house of justice is, I would be very comfortable with. How often do you (laughs) feel like this happens? It doesn't happen very often uh, because since uh, Baha'is are, are all trying to put into practice the Baha'i writings, we all operate off the same body of writings. It, it's, it's quite rare that, that, a, that a local assembly would issue a decision that I would think was... Uh, in, I, it's never happened in my experience as a Baha'i. Uh, uh, but but, but uh, in a few cases, I've seen others who have felt a decision was incorrect or... Uh, I don't know if I have ever seen a case where they would have said it's immoral, but they might say it's contrary to some guidance in the Baha'i writings. And so they have that opportunity to to appeal to those higher levels. And then given the fact that we have this unerring body at the, you know, at the world level, if that appeal were to go there, however it goes, we can be 100% confident that it is the right thing to do, given the guidance that we have about that. I, w- I want to believe you. <laughs> I think what's hard is coming from, I, I think where a lot of people have gotten hurt in Christianity is in their local bodies when, when a lot of things go wrong and a lot of things are handled badly and people are ignored or are, are pushed out of the church because they mm-hmm. refuse to agree. And it, I want to believe that there is a space where people can go and and find that harmony and unity, even if they don't fully agree 100%. Um, and it sounds like you function different than a local church because you don't have a pastor and you don't have a building that that's for everybody and you're, you don't have all of these structures that a lot of the systems we came from have. And I, I think that's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, our system is messed up. Our system yeah. is messed up. And so I, I really hope that that your system is working better because... Well, we, we recognize in, in, in this process of kind of, uh, you know, promotion of unity and, and ultimately developing a, a global peace, we, we see three protagonists, the individual, the community, and the institutions. And, and these are collaborators. They're not antagonists. 
And so we work together to uh, with a common vision of where we where we want to go. Now, not to say that this is a perfect process. We're, as I said, we're still learning how to do this. Assemblies are still developing. Uh, and, and so uh, it is possible that a, a member of a community may inadvertently uh, be uh, uh, um, offended in some way to the point that they might choose to with, withdraw from the Baha'i faith or something like that. They, there is, there is uh, a, a very strong emphasis on the loving relationship that the local spiritual assembly should have with the individuals. And so it, when we see that happen, we see this is something we have to work on. Uh, now, it could be that it was unavoidable because people make choices also. And so, so it's, it's, there's responsibility on both sides, but it's not all on the individual. There's a very heavy-duty responsibility placed on the local assembly to be loving shepherds of the multitudes. And, and as such, uh, this should be a process where there is a strong emphasis on uh, development and uh, support as opposed to uh, punishment or kind of punitive uh, actions. So you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Um, <laughs> well, we, we've, we have friends yeah. um, around the table that are United Methodists, and we've just walked through watching mm -hmm. that system say that LGBTQ folks are not welcome. Mm -hmm. They're not welcome to lead. They're not welcome to get married. They're not welcome to serve. <sighs> Like there's no, it, if it's five to four and we tell you you're not human, we can't stay in community. I mean, some will, but many will leave. Um, if you want to comment on that issue or some other issue, I mean, how do you deal with something like that? Like this, this issue that there's a lot of variance around the world. Um, a lot of individuals have different views on it. Mm -hmm. um, how... How does the system deal with something like that that is so deeply personal and also has huge, like, universal impacts? Mm -hmm. So specifically, I want to this, be sure I know what you're asking Well, there. so in this case, um, I guess in your tradition, since you don't have mm -hmm. pastors, just do you include LGBTQ folks in your... Um, experience of religion and are they considered to be whole people um, if they are practicing or non-practicing? So, so the answer is complex. Yeah. Uh, because uh, uh, the, the Baha'i writings will uh, uh, not sanction uh, uh, homosexuality as, as a, a practice. Uh, but what that doesn't mean that we'll exclude those people from our meetings or other kinds of activities, or or welcome them as Baha'is. That their their choice is their their choice. The the Baha'i faith uh, uh, does not sanction any extramarital sexual activities as one of the laws uh, that is there. And the and so uh, the only uh, acceptable sexual activity takes place within a marriage. And of a man and a woman. Of a man and a woman. Uh, the Baha'i writings say the, the main purpose of, of religion is to raise up the next generation of humans and, and, and specifically defines that as a marriage between a man and a woman. But, but Baha'is will not ostracize uh, their uh, fellow Baha'is who happen to be 
uh, gay or lesbian or, you know, yeah. Okay. Uh, and so, so that's why I say it's complex because, uh, the, the concept of withdrawing love or making a judgment about their spiritual destiny is absolutely not part of the, of the Baha'i faith. But, but there are these teachings that are also part of the context of the Baha'i writings as well. So they're allowed to become Baha'i, mm -hmm. even though there's stated in the writings that acting on Mm -hmm. Yes, their attraction is not okay. Yeah. So, in the, in this case, to make to make the the parallel, would they be able to serve in any leadership roles or be elected? Because um, I think that that's what, where the, the United Methodist Church made that yeah. stance that you that you cannot, even though there are many UMC clergy that are, you know, gay, lesbian, and I, so I think uh, that would have to be a decision of the institutions at, at the time. The if if people were actively practicing. Uh, then, then probably not allowed to. They, they would have a concept there in the United in in the Baha'i faith, a concept of administrative rights, and those that would be the right to vote and participate in the administrative uh, institutions. And uh, but but the emphasis would be on kind of a developmental process, hoping to kind of help uh, people think through that process and and. Uh, each person has spiritual battles. That's a concept in the Baha'i faith: spiritual battles that we, that we, that we fight. And and uh, one person's spiritual battle may be that. Another person's spiritual battle may be uh, accepting the fact that their son just uh, married someone who's not a Baha'i, even though that you know is perfectly acceptable and. In, in the Baha'i faith. And so, so each person, or, or multiracial marriages are a challenge to some people because Baha'is absolutely promote and encourage uh, uh, interracial uh, marriages. So there are different challenges that, that face uh, different people as we, as we move forward. So you seem to have a very optimistic, hopeful view of humanity. Mm -hmm. And I don't. I can't. I can't say that everybody else around the table does so much. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. <laughs> you, you guys seem no, like those, a pretty optimistic no, 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 <laughs> Janelle and I like to. I like to jabber occasionally. I am the skeptic uh, of the group, or, or okay. the realist. I mean, you know. So I, I got to say. So my wife, whom y'all met upstairs, she's. Um, we used to joke about this often in our 17 years of marriage, how like I'm, I'm the hopeful optimist and, and really, but she's like, but I'm the realist. I'm the, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's get, let's get real if we can about, and, and Janelle, thank you. You, you definitely made that extremely real. Uh, are there any weaknesses that, that you could, would say, if you can say on the record, and I know we, we can always edit this out if we need to. Uh, any weakness? We have that option. I'm waiting for the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Any, any, yeah. weak, any, any weaknesses that, that you find within your religion, within the Baha'i faith? And you know, I, I think that I could, and I could speak to my own religion and say, yeah, there, there are some weaknesses that I wish I could change. Yeah. Um, can, you, can you freely speak about any of that? I, I'll do my best. Uh, first of all, uh, from a Baha'i perspective, we view the teachings of the Baha'i faith as perfect. And, and so we don't expect to find any weaknesses in the Baha'i teachings. And, and explicitly in the Baha'i writings, it says that it would be arrogant to kind of pick and choose which writings we agree with and which we, which we disagree with. So we start from that uh, premise that the revelation from God, our Creator, uh, the All-Knowing, the All-Wise, uh, as revealed through Baha'u'llah, as revealed through Jesus Christ, as revealed through Muhammad, we view all of those as perfect revelations. 
being implemented by imperfect humans. And, and so the imperfections that we find in the faith is a process of learning and advancement as imperfect humans learn about and begin to uh, embrace these teachings and put them into practice in their uh, daily lives. So there, there would never be any example of a perfect Baha'i community. Uh, we can find uh, very well-intentioned Baha'i communities that are doing very wonderful things and advancing and developing further. But that community will look very different in 20 years or five years because we have a, a very uh, a very aggressive goal of, of uh, development of, of, of the Baha'i communities and kind of learning what we can do to contribute to to uh, this process of, of, of unification. So, so uh, on a daily basis, we can find examples of where I've made a mistake or uh, the community has uh, gone off in a different direction uh, temporarily as we tried something uh, that didn't work. But that's actually part of the perfection of the, uh, of the design, is that you know, God could have given this to us all just as kind of a package. But then that would have kind of violated the concept of individual choice and, and the beauty of humanity actually achieving this stage of maturation uh, collectively as part of their endeavor and part of their accomplishment. And so, so that imperfection is actually part of the process of moving us towards that, that uh, perfect world. So I, th I think that you know when the Universal House of Justice offers the Baha'i faith as a model, it's not a, a model that is perfect, and they absolutely state that. It is a model that is engaged in a mode of learning to learn how to do this better. And we invite the world to join us in that process of learning, if that makes sense. You know, and, you know a funny kind of hype, not even hypothetical, just a uh, you know, myth, not, not even, just a story to illustrate. This is, uh, you know, that, that remote islanders, you know, were said to have uh, the prophecy that one day God would send a new world order uh, to them that would bring world peace to the world. And so one day the trumpets blared and a red carpet came out of a cloud and down came this giant box right onto their island and it was labeled New World Order. And uh, they uh, were so excited because God had finally fulfilled his promise of, of revealing this new world order. So they opened it up with great excitement to see what it looked like. And to their great surprise, they found out it was a do-it-yourself kit. And, and, and Baha'is really view uh, the teachings of the Baha'i faith as, in, in many ways, a, a do-it-yourself kit. Uh, that it, it is all the pieces, all the components, all the principles that are required to achieve world peace, including this process of consultation that I mentioned, and, and most importantly, this overarching perspective of unity and oneness, which Baha'i writings emphasize is a prerequisite for world peace, the embrace of this concept of, of oneness. But, but putting it together is the challenge for humankind. And, and so uh, as we engage in this process, we see ourselves putting these things together. And, you know, when you put together a do-it-yourself kit, we were talking about IKEA furniture earlier tonight. Uh, you know, when you put it together, sometimes you put a wrong piece in and you find out it's wrong. So you take that out and put it together a different way. And, and, but, that, but there's a very clear vision of what that is that we're, that we're building and contributing to. And we invite everybody to join us in, in whatever capacity they feel comfortable to uh, help move humankind forward.
Okay, so you said you your family went to Swaziland. Yes, uh-huh. So as a Nazarene, I grew up hearing about Swaziland all the time. I used to drive past the Nazarene Hospital all the time. Because one of in, our biggest... In in one of our biggest <laughs> Nazarene mission heroes yeah. um, was in Swaziland. So did huh. you... Did your family ever interact with them, or did the Baha'is ever an- interact with them that you knew I, of? I, I don't know of any times that I interacted with the hospital there, which is the main facility in Manzini, one of the one of the cities or towns in, in Swaziland. Uh, out in the villages, I interacted with people who are of the Nazarene faith quite okay. often. I mean, there were many Nazarenes in, in Swaziland who are of the Nazarene faith, so we would collaborate in, in different ways out in the villages. And uh, and I, I only lived in Swaziland for a total of about two years at different mm-hmm. times, visiting my grandparents. I attended high school there for a year, okay. actually. And and uh, so I was not uh, kind of interacting at the leadership level, uh, but the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is, I'm confident, I don't know of any particular instances, but I'm confident in their interfaith uh, activities would have collaborated with the Nazarene yeah. sometimes, but I very specifically remember the Nazarene hospital in Manzini. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a, that's not a random <laughs> question at all. <laughs> and, uh, so you were asking then, uh, Ryan. Oh yeah. Just in, any like last, uh, take home application, uh, final word that you would want people to know about the Baha'i tradition that uh, any misconceptions or any like this, this is important. If you're going to okay. leave, leave with this. Well, first of all, I would say that the Baha'i faith welcomes everyone to uh, join us at whatever level they feel comfortable with. If, if these teachings we've talked about this evening are attractive in any way, and you'd like to join like-minded people, uh, not necessarily joining the Baha'i faith, although welcome to do that uh, too, but in, in kind of the promotion of these children's classes or devotional programs, uh, there are people who are Baha'is and people who are not Baha'is that host these activities and communities uh, throughout the world. And so uh, feel free to contact your local Baha'is and find out what kind of collaboration might be uh, be possible. Uh, you know, you, you talked about our optimism and, and how I'm sitting here with a group of pessimists, and I, I don't believe that. Hey, wait a second. You, you guys, I'm not a pessimist. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> you, you, you guys sound pretty optimistic uh, to me. Uh, but, but you know, the, the optimism that, that Baha'is feel come from assurances in the writings that world peace is not only possible, but it is the next inevitable stage in the development of, of humankind. Uh, but we're also not Pollyannas. In, in that same uh, uh, document, it goes on to say that world peace, uh, whether world peace is achieved through unmanageable horrors or through an act of consultative will, is the choice facing humanity today. So Baha'is are 100% confident about the long-term outlook. But we are very concerned about the route that we take to get there. And the, the lesson of humanity so far has been that advancement towards world peace has come through very uh, horrifying events, such as World War I leading to the establishment of the League of Nations and World War II leading to the establishment of the United Nations. And, and a question mark becomes, you know, what is it that it takes to advance us further on this path towards world peace? Baha'is are very hopeful that a process of consultation can advance that process forward, but we're also very realistic in understanding that if humanity makes other choices, that route is also a very realistic route that takes us to uh, world peace. It's one that we 
pray will not occur, but it is one that seems sometimes more likely and sometimes less likely depending on what's going on in the world. We seem to be at a stage right now in this particular time. You talked about, what were the words you used? Muck and grime or muck something like mess. that? Muck and mess. Uh, you know, we can see a lot of muck and mess out there right now. A, a lot of evidence of kind of recurring racism that... that uh, 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 religious strife of different types, anti-Semitism, but that's only one example of the religious uh, uh, prejudice that exists. And so Baha'is are 100% confident that this is the stage that we're moving through, uh, but it is still up to humankind to decide how we move through these uh, the, the, the muck and the mess that you're, that you're talking about. We think that, uh, that uh, whether slowly or quickly, the principles of the Baha'i faith can contribute to uh, a positive process that moves forward as we implement concepts like the equality of women and men, the uh, universal education, uh, really understand, work to understand what it means for religion and science to be in harmony. You know, other kinds of things like that. All of those are, you know, uh, are puzzles to, and principles to learn how to implement. And the quicker we can learn how to implement those working together, the more quickly we'll achieve that optimistic end. So any website, Cliff's Notes kind of <laughs> book that people yeah. could take home and, and read up more uh, on? A couple Baha'i. of quick websites that I would refer people to. Uh, www.baha'i, that's B-A-H-A-I. Baha'i is usually spelled with apostrophe I, Baha'i. Uh, but, but on the website, usually there's no apostrophe. So it's simply www.bahai.org. Uh, and then, and that is a basic uh, site that will point you towards many of the Baha'i writings, as well as explanations of many of the Baha'i principles we've been talking about tonight. Uh, it'll also point you towards a very special site, which is a documentary site for the bicentennial events that the Baha'is are uh, holding. Uh, in 2017, a year and a half ago, the 200th anniversary of the birth of Baha'u'llah was celebrated throughout the world. And that is a very rich site to see all of many of the different celebrations that took place all over the world, from villages in Africa to large auditoriums uh, in uh, various uh, cities and, and everything in between. 2019, next year will be, a, uh, actually that's this year, uh, will, is another very special year. That's the 200th anniversary of the birth of the Bob. And uh, the Bob was the forerunner of Baha'u'llah, preparing the world for his uh, uh, mission. And we recognize the Bob as one of the twin manifestations of the Baha'i faith. And so in uh, later this year, towards the end of this year, we'll be celebrating the bicentennial of his birth. Everybody is welcome, no matter where you live. Uh, look for the Baha'is in your local community, and you'll be finding bicentennial celebrations uh, all over the world. So the other site, though, that I would point you towards is www.bic.org, uh, uh, and, and that is one that uh, is the Baha'i International Community website that has many of the social and economic development statements if you're interested in more of the positions of the Baha'i faith on issues like climate change, poverty, and many of the issues the United Nations uh, deals with. So those would be a few starting points. And look up Baha'is in your local community. You'll find them.
Thank you. This is great. Yes, this I, is I, awesome. I, yes, as thanks. you were talking there at the end, I just thought Bob is the David Robinson de Bajo Ola. So mm. the Tim Duncan, you know, David Robinson, Tim Duncan, no? no? Paved the way for the great Timmy. Anyway, the NBA fans out there will understand what I just said. It's, <laughs> oh, got it. It, it is a sports analogy, by the way. Sorry I went there. No. Uh, Doug, thanks so much for your time. Yes. This was incredible. Uh, I, I love the fact that we get to brew up different uh, religions and, and all kinds of dishes. Yeah. I well, mean, th thank you to yeah, all three of you. It's been a really nice conversation tonight. And again, I really appreciate the spirit of unity yeah. that your brew pub theology approaches this. I've uh, enjoyed looking at some of the things you have on your website. I, I appreciate the fact that you have coffee and tea uh, chapters as well as uh, brew pub <laughs> uh, chapters, because that in itself demonstrates a spirit of inclusiveness that is uh, very impressive. So th thanks for having me here tonight and look forward to staying in touch. Absolutely. Yeah, and if, if you all like that episode, please uh, give it a share online. Uh, Facebook, please reshare. Um, you know, we are all over Twitter as well, Instagram. If you like what we do, go to brewtheology.org and look more into what you can do to partner with us. Remember, Altruist is coming up on May 4th. So that's all on the website as well. Altruist, six faith leaders, four causes, one craft brewery. And it's just going to be a great day. So thanks again, Janelle, Mark, and Doug. Appreciate this time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>